Okay. So the topic we're doing this week is about the determination to be free. It's one of the three principal aspects of the path. Um, so it's a very important topic. And it's important to understand what it means correctly because there's it's a lot of misunderstanding about it. The Tibetan term is ne ne jung. Okay? Um, it's often translated as renunciation. But ne means definite and jung means to arise. Okay? So you want to definitely arise or definitely emerge from what? From suffering and confusion. When we talk about renunciation, that's also what we want to renounce, is suffering and confusion. However, the word renunciation, it's a bit tricky in English, because when we hear renunciation, we think that you're renouncing happiness, don't we? You know, oh, that person's so renounced, meaning they don't do any of the things that that uh, other people do to be happy. It's like, you know, so we get this image that a renunciate is someone who walks around with, you know, no shoes and terrible food and, uh, you know, matted hair and they're suffering so much because they've renounced all this happiness. But who wants to renounce happiness? Okay, we're renouncing suffering. We're renouncing unsatisfactory conditions. So the question comes, oh, well, so then I can renounce and I can go to the bar and I can go to the pub and I can go to the disco and I can go to the movies and because I'm not renouncing happiness and all those things make me happy. Well, then the question is to check up, do they really make you happy? That's the question, you know. Do those kinds of things really make you happy? Do they really bring you peace in your mind? Okay. So when we look at a lot of the things that we're attached to, and we all have different things, you know, some of you may think, oh, bar, that's a good place, I want to go there. Some people might say, oh, bar, what a drag, you know, I want to go to the bakery. <laughs> you know, forget the bar. Give me the bakery, <laughs> you know. So we might have our, we might each have our own version of it. But the thing is, whatever it is that that we're grasping onto for sense pleasure, does that actually bring happiness, or does it wind up being unsatisfactory, and therefore something that we wouldn't mind letting go of if there's a state of greater happiness, of greater satisfaction. Get what I'm saying? Because as beings wandering in cyclic existence, we're very attached to the immediate pleasure that comes through contact with sense objects. We're kind of addicted to that. And so, like I said, we all have our own sense objects that we enjoy and what one person likes another person doesn't. But whatever it is, we're kind of addicted to our own brand of it. And we're actually 
being very narrow-minded, so small and narrow, because we think that, that only those things are what bring happiness. You know, so whether it's the bar or the bakery, or the bureau, if you're a workaholic, um, the business office, bar, bakery, and business office, okay? Um, then, you know, we, we think that's going to bring happiness, and that, that isn't our own experience, actually, you know, because we've all had those things, and they're nice for a while, but then they, they leave us kind of flat afterwards, because we're back in the same place where we were before, you know? Kind of whatever we got out of whether we're an alcoholic, um, a, a bakeryaholic, or a workaholic, we're back where we started out from before, whenever, after we've done whatever it was, okay? So, um, what we're renouncing is, is not the pleasure. We're renouncing this unsatisfactoriness in our life. You know, this inability to find uh, a peaceful mind or to have a, a, you know, any kind of satisfaction in our life. This feeling like we always have to go here and there and here and there in our, you know, um, perilous pursuit of pleasure. Yeah, And uh, what we often call struggling for happiness. So... When we talk about renunciation, that's the side of giving up the low-grade happiness. And when we translate that term as definite emergence or determination to be free, there we're looking on the positive side of, I want to come out of, you know, the box I'm in. in I want to definitely into, emerge into a happy state you know, I'm determined to be free of my suffering and to attain liberation. And so that is based on knowing that there exists other kinds of happiness besides sense pleasure happiness. So there's the happiness that, that can derive through meditative concentration. There's the happiness that derives from just applying the Dharma in our daily life and letting go of, of a lot of the things that keep our mind so constricted and tight. And then, of course, the ultimate happiness of being able to purify the mind completely and attain full enlightenment and really be able to benefit all beings. So, you know, we don't have a lot of experience with the higher levels of happiness so at the beginning, it seems a little bit scary. You know, we, we, go, we look more at the renunciation side and say, that's scary. I don't want to give up these things because who knows if I'm going to get anything better. Yeah? But then <laughs> part of it is realizing that you're not giving up the pleasure and happiness you had. You're giving up the suffering that it brought. And you're giving up the attachment to the object, which is what brought the suffering. Okay, It's not the object that brings the suffering, it's our attachment to it. That, you know, when the mind is bound to the object, that brings so much pain. And so we're giving that up and aspiring 
first state that is free of that, and that freedom in and of itself is something so blissful and tranquil, you know, and very deeply satisfying. Okay, so that's, that's a little bit talking just about the word, you know, and, and what we're trying to do. And just this whole idea of relinquishing misery and relinquishing unsatisfactory conditions instead of holding on to unsatisfactory conditions, uh, thinking that they're happiness when they aren't. You know, so they, they tell the story of what, what was it? Some, some silly story, you know, of the guy who there was a tiger chasing him. So he leapt off the cliff, but there's a tiger down at the end of the cliff. And so he jumped off the cliff and grabbed a, a branch. And so he's hanging there on the branch between the two tigers. And then there's a strawberry growing there. And, and so he said, oh, what a wonderful strawberry. Now I can enjoy. So different traditions use this story in different ways. Yeah. But I always look at it as if you're between two tigers, what kind of happiness are you going to get from a strawberry? <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah, I can see the whole pleasure of, you know, be in the moment. Yeah, because they often they tell the story is yeah, just be in the moment. You might you know don't be afraid of the tiger that was chasing you before, and don't be afraid of the tiger that's to come. But just enjoy the strawberry and be in the moment. So some people tell the story like that, but personally speaking, that doesn't do much for me. You know, I don't think I'm really gonna find some fulfillment in a strawberry when I'm hanging on a branch between two tigers, okay? So, <laughs> if you look at it that way, then, you know, what do you want to do? You want to get out of the situation altogether, okay? What you really want to do is you want to learn to fly, <laughs> yeah? Forget the strawberries, you know? Learn to fly because that'll get you out of the situation altogether. So, so often in our life, you know, we face so many, so much confusion and so many confusing choices. And it's kind of, should I do this or should I do that? And what's going to give me more pleasure or what's going to give me less pain? Because there's this tiger here and that tiger there, and you know, how can I? And trying to navigate all of this. Um, but that's kind of still thinking within the box. You know, how can I navigate my life so that I can get as much pleasure and stay away from as much pain as I can? Whereas what we're striving for spiritually is to free ourselves from that unsatisfactory condition of just being trapped in that box altogether. You know, it's like, let's get out of this mess altogether. Okay? So, in renouncing the suffering, we also want to let go of the causes of the suffering. Okay? And, and 
and here, let me back up just a step, a step. You know, we begin to see that some of the things that we're very attached to actually bring us a lot of problems. Okay? So we begin to see that, you know, going to the bar is nice, but then you, you come home drunk and you don't feel well the next day. And going to the bakery is nice, but then you put on all this weight and you feel really uncomfortable and, you know, your doctor isn't very happy with you and you get diabetes. And then, you know, or you become a workaholic and, um, you know, ultimately that isn't very satisfactory either. You get the money and the prestige, but then your family life suffers and so many other things suffer. So what I'm getting at is that these things, they look attractive, but if we look at them closer, they don't even bring the immediate happiness that we always want. You know, they might give us an instant rush, but even in this life, they, they bring many problems and difficulties with them. And through chasing after them, we create negative karma, which fogs our mind, obscures our mind, puts us in more painful situations. And so when we are developing the renunciation of this suffering, of this unsatisfactory condition, it's also renouncing its causes, which, you know, is a lot to do with all the attachment and craving and clinging that we have for all of these things to start with. Because if we didn't see all these things as so wonderful to start with and crave and cling to them, then we wouldn't have all the problems that we have with them later. Are you getting what I'm saying? Hello? Yeah? You know? It, it's like if you don't have a washing machine, then you don't have to be afraid of your washing machine breaking. Okay? So it, it's like if you don't have attachment for certain things, then you don't have to worry about whether you have that object or don't have that object. Okay? Because your mind is, is in some kind of, you know, your mind is more even, more balanced, more equanimous there. So, you know, we want to give up the things that, the suffering feelings, okay? And we want to give up the causes of those suffering feelings. Okay. And the basic causes are the attachment and ignorance and anger that make us get involved with a lot of different things that then cause the karma to ripen for us to have suffering feelings or cause us to get involved with the external objects and people and then we generate confusion, ignorant um, attachment, and anger, and we create more negative actions which plant the seeds for more suffering in the future. Okay. So we're renouncing not only the suffering feelings and the miserable situations, but all the causes that act to bring us into those situations, particularly attachment and craving, and then also, of course, hatred and resentment and anger and pride and jealousy and confusion and all those kinds of things. Okay? And what happens is, is the more we want to be free of suffering, then the more we want to stop the causes of suffering. And so here's where ethical conduct come in, comes in, because when we keep good ethical conduct, 
then we are in the process of renouncing the causes of misery. Yeah, getting what I'm saying? So ethical conduct isn't just about being goody-two-shoes. It's about having some wisdom and knowing, oh, this causes misery. I'm renouncing the cause of misery. Okay, so I'm keeping good ethical conduct because if I do that, then I abandon the actions that cause misery. I create more more actions that bring on happiness. And then, since ethical conduct is the wish not to do harm. Okay. Yeah. So think of ethical conduct that way. You know, it's not a bunch of rules that somebody's imposing on us. It's the wish not to harm. Okay. So the more we increase that wish not to harm, the more we are distancing ourselves from the causes of our own misery. Yeah? True, isn't it? Yeah? So the more we cultivate that wish not to harm, the more we're distancing ourselves from the ignorance, anger, and attachment that act as the cause of our own misery. So that ethical conduct is something that we do for ourselves, for our own benefit. And then, of course, we also do it for the benefit of others because if we see that others want to be happy and don't want to suffer, then we don't want to do harmful actions that cause them suffering. Okay? So when we keep ethical conduct, we're abandoning the causes of our own misery and we're stopping causing other people misery. So it works to the advantage of, of both ourselves and others. Some of you are pretty sleepy today. Where's my water squirt gun? You never got me one. I was going to get, I asked to get me one. For situations like this, and a few of you I think you can Fired and didn't get me one. <laughs> I will take it out right now. What is saying then you won't fall asleep. Yeah. I have my snowballs. That woke you up a little bit. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the whole thing about how ethical conduct is, you know, so important in this path for this reason, you know, as we give up wishing the wish to cause harm, then we are also giving up creating the cause of suffering for ourselves. So that's the first step on the path, just that thing to, of giving up causing harm. Now it's very interesting for us to look in our mind, because we always spout the words, oh I don't want to harm anybody, I want to be a gentle Buddhist practitioner, I don't want to harm. Well, look. You know, it's very interesting to, to look in our minds a little bit 
and sometimes how we kind of get a little tingle from making people uncomfortable, don't we? Or harming them or doing something to them. Don't we? Yeah? Somebody did something to you and, you know, you just get the right, <coughs> you know. Then you look so innocent afterwards. Yeah. Or just, uh, you know, sometimes we have this kind of rebelliousness in us. This kind of... Mm. <laughs> you know that one? Make me... <laughs> or, you know, we have all different little ways that we have of somehow feeling like we're trumping one on, on other people, you know. And we're not necessarily harming them physically, you know. Sometimes, oh well, some people want a capital punishment and dropping bombs. But sometimes we don't mind hurting their feelings a little bit. We don't mind offending them. We don't mind making them feel uncomfortable. Uh-huh. And, and our mind really gets some kind of buzz off of this. It's like, oh, I'm more powerful because I can harm somebody. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, we don't show that we all because we wouldn't be good Buddhists if we acted. So it's it's quite interesting for us to to look at you know this wish to give up harm is actually not so easy you know it's not so easy and um, and so it requires a good bit of looking at ourselves you know why do I think that harming somebody else is going to do me good yeah. why why do I feel that Kind of, it's going to make me more powerful, or give me more prestige, or give me more some kind of feeling of control, or you know, I can do something that has, I can bug somebody, basically, isn't it? You know, we we get sometimes get a high off of bugging people, and we look so innocent. Does that bother you? I'm so sorry. You really shouldn't be attached to those things. <laughs> and you wouldn't be so bothered when I do that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean any harm. You're just oversensitive and attached. Right? So we kind of need to look a little bit. You know, what's that mechanism going on in our mind that we get this little thing? Yeah, about doing stuff to other people. It's really rather interesting, isn't it? Yeah. We learned it as kids sometimes, you know? Remember when you're a kid and, you know, you just get some kind of, I know how to make mom and dad mad. And then you're in school, I know how to make my teachers mad. And then you go, I know how to do something to really stir somebody else up. Yeah. So anyway. Just, just looking at that that mind that um, you know that ego identity that that gets something out of uh, feeling that I have some power if I can make other people uncomfortable. Hmm? 
Okay, so like I said, you know, the, the ethical conduct is, the, is abandoning that wish to do that. It's relinquishing that, giving, giving that up, you know. If we want to have power, we're not going to get power through that. In other words, our mind is, is looking more closely about, well, well, what is power and what isn't power, you know? And it's being able to do something to somebody else, whether you drop a bomb on them or capital punishment or bug them, whatever it is. Is that the kind of power that, that is really worthwhile having? Mm-hmm. So we do some introspection along along that line. So we begin to give up that that wish to harm. Okay. So when there's there's the renunciation and the ethical conduct, you know, what's the first step we take? Because it helps us put our our life in a good direction. And then to free ourselves completely from this situation of being stuck in low grade happiness what we call cyclic existence or samsara, having to take rebirth again and again under the influence of ignorance. Then the next step after that is we develop concentration. Okay, so we learn to be able to focus the mind instead of having the mind be like a mad elephant charging around or like a monkey swinging from branch to branch. Okay. And ethical conduct comes before concentration. Now, why? Well, first of all, it's easier to do. Because with ethical conduct, we're restraining physical and verbal actions. With concentration, we're restraining the mind. Okay, Restraining the mind is harder to do than physical, verbal, physical and verbal actions. So we have to start out with the ethical conduct that abandons abandons the harmful physical and verbal actions and then progress to concentration that relinquishes the the negative mental attitudes. Now, if we don't give up physically and verbally harming any people, how in the world are we going to give up the, the mental um, afflictions that make us want to harm them? Because the thing is, and, and this is important to really see in our life, is that the body and the, and the, and the mouth don't move without a motivation. <laughs> yeah, There's always a motivation in the mind first. So that's why working with the mind is more difficult than with the body and speech. Because the mind comes first. The motivation in the mind comes first. And then there is, then there's, after that motivation to make the mouth move or make the body do something, there's some kind of time there before the the body and speech react. So that's that's why it's easier to stop the verbal and mental, uh, verbal and physical negative actions than it is with the mental ones. And so that's why ethical conduct comes first, and then concentration is built upon that. Also, because if we're doing a lot of unethical activities, then our mind's going to be thinking and spinning around all of that. And then when we sit down to meditate, instead of being able to concentrate, we're going to be plotting, you know, our next way to harm somebody, or we're going to feel guilty about having done so. Okay, so so that's going to make, you know, unethical conduct makes con- meditative concentration difficult. 
because it just takes our mind off the object of meditation and into conniving or into remorse and guilt. Okay? Okay, then upon that basis of concentration, so that the mind becomes more stable, it's not buffeted around by all the negative emotions, you know, it can stay single-pointedly on an object, then upon that basis it becomes possible to develop wisdom. And that wisdom penetrates into the nature of reality. It sees things as they are. And when it does so, it acts as a counterforce to the ignorance. When the ignorance is abandoned, then the attachment, the hatred, resentment, jealousy, arrogance, all these kinds of things that grow out of the ignorance, then they're also removed. Okay. So that's why we have these, this three-stage process. Okay, ethical conduct, concentration, and wisdom. They're called the three higher trainings in Buddhism. Yeah. And when we describe the path to liberation, okay, it in, it's founded upon these three. Okay, higher trainings and ethical concentration, uh, ethical uh, conduct, concentration, and wisdom. And then by practicing those, we're able to actualize that determination to be free that we had. Okay, remember that determination to be free wants to cut off all the suffering and the confusion we have. And by this threefold training, then we're actually doing it. We're practicing the path that, that does that. And it brings the mind to a state where there's freedom from all of these afflictions. And just that freedom from the afflictions and the unsatisfactory results that they bring, just that freedom itself is such a state of relief and bliss. And then, when we, on top of that, when we use that to work for the benefit of others, you know, and really commit our lo- ourselves to being of service and benefit to others and leading them on that path to liberation as well, then there's even more of a sense of joy and bliss because you really know that you're not just looking out for your own liberation, but you really have a mind, a heart of love and compassion for everybody and you really want all of everybody to be happy. So this time I didn't 